Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 27th day of December, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We're in the chapter, Bill's Story. We are on page two, and we will be starting with the last paragraph that begins, We Gave Up Our Positions. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Nancy, uh, Nancy H., 12 Traditions, Kim, and then our readers will be Katie G., Sharon, Hoodie, and Kim. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 26th of December, is 5665, 5665. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Nancy H. to please read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning. A vision for you. I am Nancy H. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. And these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Nancy. I will now ask Kim to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Monica. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but blessed servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, 
Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the LA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always remember, always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radios, and film. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Kim. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your commenting to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muting. And I'm going to ask that again. Please, everyone, please keep your phones muted unless you are going, unless it is your turn to speak. I will give you time to unmute, okay, so we can keep our line quiet because we're having some technical issues here. And today we will resume our study of the big book. We're in the chapter Bill's story. We're on page two. And we're on the bottom paragraph that begins, we gave up our positions and off reward. And I will ask Katie G. to please start reading. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Boston, Mass. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle, the sides car stuffed with tents, blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money. But we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year, At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. And again, this is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, grateful to be here after and sober this morning. And um, I want to take a little bit of a a different angle when I was reading this um, part of the book with my sponsor, um, working um, through the steps, um, we she talked to me about how during this um, paragraph, you know, Bill is not stopping and asking God for help, right? He's trying to manage on his own. And I can so relate to that, like needing to be in management. And when I'm in management, I'm looking for human powers to fix me. And the different angle I wanted to take on this is that for me, my experience was Um, While this was true for me with my eating, this was also true for me when I was not eating. And this was true for me when I was not eating without a God, right? It says our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. And lunacy is insanity, right? So I'm insane. I have this allergy of the body, but an obsession of the mind, an insane obsession of the mind. And I was abstinent in these rooms without a God. And I, I... I went for the same job four different times at four different institutions. Do you think I asked God for help? 
you think I cared that my friends thought a lunacy commission ought to be appointed? I mean, I'm, I know my friends are like, are you getting the same job? Isn't that the same title? Oh, well, it doesn't matter this time because you know what? It's more money. You know what? They're going to give me more training. You know what? They're going to give me more. And what am I always looking for? I have a disease of more. What do I want? I don't know. What do you have? What more can I have? So I thought the more was going to fix me, right? And this is the same thing. Like, off Bill and his wife go, you know, giving up their positions, giving up responsibility and deciding, okay, this is what I want. So I'm going to go after it. I'm going to go after what is going to feed my ego. And the problem is that no, no human power can relieve me. You know, like even if, um, you know, I get, even when I got that job, within six months, I was fired. Because I was insane, because I had no people skills, because I was selfish, dishonest, self-centered, and afraid, and I didn't have any tools to teach me how to work with other people. I knew how to manage other people right into the ground. I knew how to condescend you right into the ground because I was so afraid. You know, I wasn't asking God for help. I was trying to manage my life on my own, and I was looking for success, right? I was looking for something to fill the void. You know, and today, thank you, God, that's not where I go. But if I am just abstinent without the steps, that's where I was. I was, I was working the same job and getting fired from it. I was in a relationship that I had no business being in. I was looking for things outside myself. And that's really what this paragraph is speaking to me about, is just looking for, you know, that quick fix, that money, that human power. But no human power can relieve my alcoholism, my food addiction, my compulsive overeating and see God can and God will if he was sought. And how do I seek him? Through abstinence and active, clearing out the wreckage of my past and living in steps 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Now, would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Press star Lauren? one to unmute. Lauren? Yes. Go ahead, Lauren. Thank you, Monica. Hi, this is Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a recovered compulsive overeater. For Bill's story, what what I think the a really great purpose in reading this is I was told to relate to how he thought, how he felt, and how he used alcohol, and in my case, in addition, certain foods. And this, I also think that he used this story as a 12-step call. So so when there's somebody, you know, in, in Michigan who is too afraid to go to a meeting because she doesn't want her family to know that she drinks or there's somebody who doesn't have a meeting and doesn't know anybody in their social circle who drinks the way they do, and they don't know how to identify. And there's someone like Bob Smith, who who people are having prayer circles for him and praying for him. Please stop drinking. Please stop drinking. You're, we do, and, and he's hopeless, but he's never heard his story told. I think Bill is using this story to give a 12-step call for those who are going to read this book. And on page... On page XII, the last paragraph, the last few lines say, we hope that you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me, or more important, yes, I felt like that, or most important, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. And again, pulling up whenever he was sober and making all of those 12-step calls, I believe he worked with 700 people before Dr. Bob, and none of them were successful. And his wife said, well, you know what, Bill? You're not drinking. And then he found Bob, and Bob, what Bob said after hearing Bill's Story. 
as he said, what did the man do or say that was different from what others had done or said? It must be remembered that I had read a great deal and talked to everyone I knew, but this was a man who had experienced many years of frightful drinking. But of far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. In other words, he talked my language. That's on page 180. So Bill's story is so important for people to see for one time in their life, here is one person who gets it. He's not telling them what to do. He's just saying, this is my story. So I take this as a 12-step call, in, in essence, and also how to relate myself to it. So thank you. I will pass. Thank you, Lauren. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Yes, good morning to you, Monica, and uh, visionaries. Uh, My name is Janice. I'm a recovered compulsive eater from Boston. Um, Yeah, well, this is showing us, one, of course, is I see a geographical cure, which, of course, I did when I was young. I said, you know, if I go to another you know, another state, maybe I'll be more successful, blah, blah, blah. I was always, like it was mentioned, looking outside of myself. And my one goal in life was not to be a better person, not to be a a nice uh, friend. Um, It was to be successful with money, with job. I thought that was the goal, and that was my God. Oh, I had a God in my life, but I didn't um, adore and, and 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 go to God for help. I thought that you know having more money and more success and being a better you know director or whatever is the ultimate in my life. And that's what's happening here. He he he's driving. He's he's looking. He you know <clears throat> I was eating, but I didn't look at that. That was like hidden. I was thinking of other things, other goals, the other aims of my life, and. Um, you know, I reached those goals, but it didn't help. So this is what's happening. We're going to see, you know, that, uh, of course, alcohol is a major part of Bill's life here. and um, he, But he doesn't see it yet. And uh, we will see what happens with the progression of this disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Janice. Mm-hmm. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Morning, this is Lois. Uh, may I comment? Go ahead, Lois. Hi, good morning, Monica, and everyone. <clears throat> so great to be out of the flock again. Um, to me, this sounds uh, the way it hits me is it's um, it's um, it was a, it was a God thing. You know, all my life I had thought that um, I had tried to. I, I wanted what I heard other people and saw other people have in their life. <clears throat> Excuse me, a God that looked out after them and watched over them, and and um, I, I I was asking for that. And then when I didn't get anything, right away, of course, you know, because I was restless, irritable, and discontent, you know, I just turned my back and said, you know, he's never done anything for me. So like Bill, you know, I was self-will run riot. And, and I, would, uh, I would make all my decisions myself. And, and then I would feel that, you know, there, see, nothing ever worked out for me. So, so I began to think of myself as a victim of people, places, and things. And and then and then I would blame I would blame God so I would have a I would not you know I would not wait or find a, I I had no no skills to be able to um, learn how to talk to God or listen or wait for God or believe in it of course because I was still eating too as well I was still in my disease and I was full of fear and and resentment and um, nothing in my life would go well and it wouldn't end well. And, and and then I would make these quick decisions, you know. In fact, when I first married my, my first husband, I was 19 years old, and their family, I said I should not marry him. His family, you know. Now I was going to marry him, and I was going to fix him. And you know, 31 years later, I I surrendered. So 
But, you know, and then I would blame, you know, my family never gave me any teaching. They didn't do this. God, what did God ever do for me? So, um, so this is what I see myself. I, this is where I saw myself as victimized. You know, today I realized that, you know, I, I was the victim. I, I victimized myself and, um, and, and I could point out, you know, all through life how I would make quick decisions. Um, I used to think that I was passionate and a leader. And I would make all of these decisions without consulting anyone. And then I would feel resentful. It was either his fault, their fault, or everybody's fault. So this is what, what, what Bill, that part in Bill's story brings to me. And, and, it, and they all, they all um, did not work for me either. So this was how I used to live before I had any, any uh, recovery or any hope of having God or someone else, who, a God, who cared for me in my life and who I would trust and wait for. And I have to tell you, you know, I, I, I like door number two. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, could you read, please? Good morning, Monica. Good morning, visionaries. This is Sharon, recovered compulsive over here. Very grateful to be on the line with you this morning. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weather friends. And what we see is an external package that looks beautiful, that looks appealing, it looks successful. And yet when we puncture the surface, we find that there's nothing there. There's no depth. There's no weight. There's, it's paper millions. It's not real. It's spent in thousands, chattered in millions. It's puffed up. It's more than what it appears to be. It makes me, it reminds me of, first of all, I can see myself in that. I have to be honest because I I had years ago when I started my career, things looked wonderful and I had the job and I had the success, I had the car and the clothes. And yet inside, I felt empty. I felt vacant. I felt like something was missing, that I I couldn't quite get there. And I could not, I did not know what it was. And, yeah, and I was, as Bill says here, using, it says that, um, Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. So as he was looking good and and things were booming, he was giving advice. He was the one, the, the go-to man who could tell you how to how to get the good life. And yet he was using to prop up his life. His life was missing something. On page fifty-five, it just it tells us that there's something more. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, it says, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. So there's something there. There's something more. And it says further on, for faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are fact as old, facts as old as man himself. Faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup. And so this faith in God, but what? how do I get that? And then it goes down here, and it says that instead it, it, it explains to us that it can be found, but we must search fearlessly for it. He is there. That connection, that deep 
awareness, that deep reality, that deep rootedness, we can get it. But it says it must be first searched for fearlessly. So all this time and energy that Bill put into getting money and going out on the road, getting selling all and 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 going after his dream, we can get that. We can get that. But it's deep down within that it is found and through that seeking of a power greater than ourselves. In the final analysis, it is only there that he may be found, that is deep down within us, and by searching fearlessly and diligently for it. And and working, I you know, will add that as we go through and, and develop the, the process of, of recovery through the 12 steps, we will find that we end up with a life that has depth and substance and, and stick-to-itiveness and power that is what we will get as we seek uh, it through this recovery process. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Good morning. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. I had arrived. Drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. You know, for those of us like myself who thought before I came into OA that food and weight was my problem, and unfortunately for many years when I was in OA, I thought that food and weight was my problem. So I had arrived was all about making my goal weight. If I was at goal weight, then everything would be puppies and kittens and rainbows. You know, I have to tell you, this disease is an allergy-to-the-body obsession of the mind. I have been a size 24 where I couldn't walk up a set of stairs without getting short of breath. I have been a size 2 where my period has just stopped and my hair has fallen out. And I have been the current size I am now, a size 10, binging and purging and exercising to the point that I would fall off an elliptical machine crack open my head, but have to get back on it because I haven't earned my next binge yet. I had arrived has nothing to do with food and weight. And whether I was a size 24 or a size 2 or a size 10, drink was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. What happened is that when food and weight was my only focus, that I could be whatever weight it was, and that was the only thing that mattered. If you ask me about any wedding I was in in my 20s, I can tell you what they served in the buffet, but I cannot tell you who was in the wedding because that was the only focus, whether I was stark raving abstinent or whether I was bending my brains out. My entire focus was the food, the food, the food. So what Bill was saying was he had arrived, he had gotten his dreams, he had gotten his money, he had gotten the the prestige he wanted, but slowly and surely the drink was becoming more important than his wife, than his friends, and then all the other things that used to matter in his life. That's what this disease takes from us. This disease takes everything that ever mattered from us, and as we think we achieve it. You know, for the first time in my life when I lost weight, guys were paying attention to me. I remember so clearly coming out of the gym and I had lost a lot of weight and a gentleman holding a door open for me and I screamed at him like a lunatic because I'm, I'm like, if I was heavy, you would not have opened that door for me. You were only opening that door for me because I'm thin. I could not cope with life. Yes, I had arrived. But my mind was more insane. It's talking in here about the idea that it doesn't matter if the outside world circumstances become what we wanted. It doesn't matter if I'm able to control my eating because I, if I am either controlling it or I am enjoying it. I'm unable to do both. So I had arrived, happened to me before I came into Overeaters Anonymous, and it definitely came to me while I was in Overeaters Anonymous. My judgment and ideas were followed by the tune of paper millions. When I was using this program as dieting with support and I had lost weight, I was an arrogant SOB. 
I was telling people, you know what, if you want to lose weight like me, you follow my food plan. My food plan is the answer. Let me tell you my opinion about these steps, my opinion about the tools, my opinion about this. Because if you want what I have, I am going to inflict my dieting techniques on you. What the 12 steps do is it gives us a psychic change. It gives us a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And then I know I will never arrive. That with God's help, I have this obsession removed one day at a time. And the natural consequence of being accident, the natural consequence of not being obsessed with food, is that I will become a normal body weight. But even more beautifully, I will be able to enjoy all those things in life that God gave me, which I was never able to enjoy when I was stark raving abstinence and living in restless, irritable, and discontent. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share? This is Bella. Can I Leah? Okay, I heard Bella and then Leah. Bella, go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love this paragraph because Bill's story, Bill's life, is exactly my life. It's a reflection of how my life looked before, and... Well, then I didn't understand that I am not living my life. I am living somebody else's life. I wanted the approval. I wanted people should respect me because I am doing exactly what others want me to do. I wasn't connected to myself. I didn't know who am I. I just wanted people should love me, but I didn't love myself. I didn't know what love means. I wanted people should respect me, but I didn't respect myself. I didn't have for what to respect myself. I knew that I am a loser. I don't have nothing. I, I, I don't have a willpower and you know, I wanted to be successful, and for me, successful was what other people will say. I wanted to have a professional that people should say, oh, you got it. I wanted to have money to show people, oh, I have it. You see, please accept me. I didn't know how to to build re- relationship. You know, my relationship was based on You know, you tell me what to do, and I will do exactly whatever you want to. And sure, my only honest friend was the food. The food just accept me the way I am. The the food never, ever criticized me. The food was always there for me, and... I, you know, I, I even when I was losing weight, I, I didn't lose it for me, for myself. I wanted people should say, "Oh, Bella, you did it!" And thank God, thank God, I am not there anymore. I don't have what to look to. I, I don't miss it. And thank God, I am now able to build a wonderful relationship with God. This relationship just teach me to be accepted the way I am. And this relationship just teach me God believes me, believes in me, trust me. He knows that I have what to give and what to get. This relationship is based on love and respect. It's so wonderful that I don't need the approval from the outside. Yes, I want to live my life according to the qualities gifted that I got from God. I am so thankful to say, yes, I am human. I am powerless. Thank you, God. I can be connected to you. This is the most meaningful relationship that that I ever had. I don't need the approval from the outside. I love myself. I respect myself. And this what I have, I can give to others. This relationship helped me to be able to build other relationships based on honesty, on love and respect. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Leah, go ahead, please. 
Thank you so much, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. Um, you know, Bill was a, was obviously, you know, a very intelligent, uh, charismatic, persuasive, brilliant man. He became uh, one of the first investment counselors in the 1920s. He was a securities analyst. He he um, had an idea, and this idea, you know, was working. However, um, he had an insatiable appetite. You know, he had an insatiable desire for more and more power, an insatiable desire for more and more recognition, an insatiable desire for more and more money. Um, he's not satisfied. And, of course, you know, it said in the previous paragraph that was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. Because he is so driven here, um, he's going to start taking shortcuts. The shortcuts are going to include lying and conning and manipulation and cheating and stealing and of course, um, you know, this all goes with the package. We start stepping on toes of others and creating pain and suffering for others, and they're going to retaliate and start pulling away. You know, the fact that he's driven, we're all driven. You know, drives, these instinctual drives are handed out to everybody when they arrive here on this planet as babies. You know, we all have these raw instinctual drives. We have drives for survival. We have drives for food. We have drives for security. We have drives uh, for for uh, a place in society. We have drives for sex. Everybody has drives. No one escapes uh, these drives. They're raw forces that, uh, you know, create an energy that keep us um, propelling ourselves forward as human beings. But if that um, energy, if those instinctual drives, which are absolutely essential, by the way, um, is not controlled, they can destroy us. And that's exactly what's going to begin to happen, is they're going to start to you know, um, destroy his life and other people's life. Why? Because his basic flaw had been faulty dependence on money, in this case, power recognition, to supply him with a feeling of security and well-being and happiness. You know, and when he fails to get those things according to his wishes and demands and specifications, he's going to start um, having conflicts with people. And this is an addict story. You know, that's an addict story, faulty dependence on people, places, and things to provide us with a feeling of well-being. I relate to that. And, of course, it goes on to say scoffers could scoff and be damned. Again, pulling away, certainly separating himself from God and beginning to separate himself from people. I made a host of fair-weather friends. What are fair-weather friends? Fair-weather friends are people who are present and dependable only in good times. His self-centered behavior is going to block a partnership with other people. This self-centeredness is going to start being the root of his problems. He's standing on his own two feet. He's ruling his own destiny. He's running his own show. His life is based on self-sufficiency, and it's going to continue to be so. And he's going to run himself into the ground. He's going to run himself into the pit of the mad descent of alcoholism. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, well, this is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So, yeah, it's sounding pretty good in his paragraph, huh? It's, you know, he's up high here. We're flying high. We're, things are good. I had arrived. Um, you know, had he really arrived? No. Uh, we never arrive, you know. We've only got a daily reprieve. But the thing is, you know, we're on this path. We're on this journey here. We're all on this path together. And, you know, this is the destination. We're at the destination. It's right here, right now, today. And, of course, Bill's story here, this whole chapter, is going to be teaching us 
showing us, hopefully we will identify with, the progression of this illness that we have because it is a progressive illness. And in this particular paragraph, it sounds like he's on top of the wave here. He's, you know, things are good. Things are good. And I can relate. You know, there was a few times there where uh, I took off the weight, I reached goal, you know, and, and I thought, yay, this is it. I got it figured out. I've arrived. Everybody look at me. Um, but, it didn't, but, it, but it didn't stay. It didn't last because inside, underneath that exterior, was still a mess. I was a mess. And I was still irritable, restless, and discontented. But on the outside, the package looked nice. And drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. So, you know, drink right here is, it's, he's still at that point where it's fun, it's exciting, you know, and um, partying and having all this. You know, I could relate. There was a time when food was, was fun and exhilarating and exciting and, you know, looking forward to that, to that next thing and, oh, wow, I was going to make up this recipe and that. But it didn't last. And I really wasn't happy underneath. So we let's continue on to the next paragraph. And Hoodie, could you read that, please? Star one to unmute, Hoodie, please. Hi, good morning, Monica. Sorry about that. I recover compulsive overeater. My drinking assumed more serious proportions. Continuing all day, almost every night. The remonstrances of my past and almost every night of my, of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no will of fidelity, for loyalty to my wife helped at times by extreme drunkenness. Kept me out of those creeps and that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice, Monica. Go ahead, Janice. Yes, thank you, my dear. My name is Janice. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we, we see the very first sentence of the progression of his disease. I mean, it's a, it's a must. I mean, if we don't believe it, that's what happens to um, all of us. This is what alcoholism is. This is what compulsive overeating. It never gets better. It always gets worse. Yes, like you said, drink was working for him at a time. But if you notice, his ego, his ego was in there. And there was, when my ego was there, there's no place for God. Because, you know, it just, it, it, there is no place for God in my life when my ego is so high. And what happens is, you know what, I get so uppity up that I don't need anybody. You know, like, like was said, I'm stepping on other people's toes. I don't know that I'm doing that, but I was. And then I turned around and wondered why they were mad at me. Um, and then what do I do? I become isolated. I become isolated. I say to myself, I don't really need them. My ego, I can do it on my own. And then I become a lone wolf. And that's okay because I really believe that I don't need anybody at this point. And I think this is what's, what's happening. I don't need anybody to survive. I can do it. I, 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 the ego. And I think that's what I see here. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Katie from Boston. Katie, go Sharon, ahead. May I share? Katie and then Sharon. Good morning, everyone. Katie G., still recovered, uh, compulsive overeater. Um, I love this idea, and I think that this is um, this lone wolf. I can relate to it so much. Um, and this is why... Um, when someone taught me, you know, the ism of alcoholism of, um, well, I guess there is no, like, compulsive overeater-ism, but that's kind of what we're talking about, right? The ism of I separate myself, right? Like, who knows what his friends said to him, right? Like, they could have said the same things that they, they were saying to me, like, gee, Katie, we really miss you. Can you come hang out tonight? You know, like, or, you know, whatever it was. And yet I'm, and I'm like, you know what, or, you know, Katie, you haven't, you haven't been coming out in a while. Like, why don't you, why don't you, you know, come and be social? And I'm like, really? You know, whatever, you know, and I'm, I, and I'm, and I'm angry because I'm using, I'm in the food 
you know, and I, and I, um, and my disease is progressing. You know, I love this idea that over every period of control, um, over every, over any period, our disease is getting worse, never better. And I think that I thought for such a long time, you know, if I get abstinent, then somehow I'm being a good little girl, right? And I am somehow going to overcome that right like i'm going to reach some point where the disease is stopped but that's that's like that's diet mentality and to be honest it took me a really long time to get out of that and for me what this piece of bill's story really meant is you know i was in a relationship i was eating and yeah my life kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and um you know for me you know thank god that that bill was able to be to be loyal to his wife for me i i i couldn't be loyal you know i was going out looking for when i wasn't eating um i was looking for anybody to um to fix me to make me better you know um but i really identify um you know that as this lone wolf, because my disease gets so loud, you know, and I'm not participating, even if I have friends, you know, protesting and saying, hey, Katie, come, come hang out, you know, whatever. If I'm listening to my disease, I am not going to go out and be with my friends. I'm not going to participate in a useful way in life, because you know what, the food is more important. The food is my God, the food is my sun, moon and stars. And I have no way of participating in life, because I am separating myself from God, from all of you and everybody else. And um, I'm grateful not to be there today and to have an understanding of this allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind that, frankly, drove me into abstinence out of desperation and drove me into working with steps so that I can stay away um, a day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank Thank you, Katie. Sharon, go ahead. Star one to unmute, Sharon. Hello? Yes, you're on. Oh, thanks, Monica. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This is Sharon, recovered uh, compulsive overeater in Colorado. And um, I just see myself in these pages because I always wanted to be uh, something that I was not uh, from the time I was uh, very young. You know, I always wanted to be somebody other than me, and uh, a lot of that was driven by this need, this craving, deep need for me for attention, to be exceptional, to be the star, to be, um, you know, to be the one that would walk in a room and everyone would just sigh and look my way, and and that's why I remained so obsessed with food, weight, and dieting for so many years, and and uh, I just craved that attention, but it was never enough. And, of course, with my uh, progressive illness, uh, those moments didn't last. I would get to that thin weight and look good and everybody would carry on about it. But then, you know, I began that upward, uh, you know, the weight up and, and the morale down. And this just went on over and over and over again. And, and I just see, too, that there was this um, uh, sick, obsessive mind going on with this craving craving for more, and then the allergy to the food just kept me on that vicious cycle of fueling the addiction over and over again. And so today I am so grateful that I understand um, by God's grace and mercy that um, I will never beat the game. I will never be able to... um, have one little bit of the alcoholic foods, those are the drugs of no choice, as I've heard on this line, for me. And I understand that today. Um, And I am so grateful to be a part of this uh, Vision for You OA meeting line. I'm so grateful to have uh, worked through the steps just the way they're laid out in the book. And it's amazing how I'm going through this book now for the second time, and I just begin to see more and more of me on every single page, and um, I'm just so uh, amazed that um, I was so blind, but, you know, I was, and so here I am today, um, no longer wanting to be the center of attention. I'm just so grateful that I have been given a gift, and that that gift requires a daily reprieve on my part 
uh, to work these steps to the best of my ability and to serve and help others who are still suffering. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, Monica. Ian from my Florida. Myra okay. from Michigan. I heard two of you, and I didn't catch anybody's name. Leanne. Michigan. Who is Michigan? Hi, Myra from Michigan. Rafra. Okay, and there was somebody out. Hi, say that again, please. Myra, M-Y-R-A. Oh, Myra. okay. Thank you for spelling that for me. Sure, Thank no you, problem. Myra. And who else? It was someone else. Leanne from Florida. Leanne from Florida. Okay, Myra and then Leanne. Hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Myra, great free, gratefully uh, recovered compulsive eater, food addict. I just want to say um, real quickly that I'm really grateful to be on this meeting. Um, I normally uh, listen to recordings because I'm at work at this time, and um, uh, I just uh, am really grateful to know that there is a OA program um, that works through uh, the steps um, through the big book. I've been a part of OA for a long time, and um, this is the first time um, I have been on a meeting um, where we go through the big book very thoroughly. The other programs I've worked um, work, work the steps in different ways, and, um, and I'm finding that this, to me, is the most, uh, most helpful to me, um, and it feels um, just the most uh, thorough, um, uh, thorough way to work the steps. Um, so this is my first time ever being on um, this this meeting live, so I'm really grateful. Um, you know, the, uh, Bill's story is is um, for me. It just it 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 lets me know that this is a d- disease of progression. Um, for a long time, I was in programs that um, you know dictated my abstinence, um, had rules that I had to follow, and if I didn't follow follow them perfectly. Um, I felt like a failure or I felt like I wasn't abstinent or I felt like I wasn't working um, um, the program the way that this particular group says it has to be worked. Um, And what I realized for me, um, I think what I'm realizing now is that, you know, my 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 abstinence doesn't rely on a, a sponsor or a group of rules or direction. It relies on a power greater than itself. It relies on my higher power, my relationship with my higher power, um, which I'm finding today, which I'm realizing that I think out of the years that I've had recovery with food or abstinence, it didn't feel like my reliance was on God. It always felt like it was dependent upon um, the program, the group. Um, the guidelines that were set, um, people dictating my abstinence. And what I know today um, for me is that that's, that's not the case. You know, um, I need to maintain my, my sobriety based upon um, my conscious contact with God. And this is definitely a progressive disease. And I'm one of those kind of people that, you know, at times, depending on where I'm at spiritually, I will look outside myself for something else to something to make me feel better, you know, because I don't know how to live life on life's terms, you know. Um, I'm learning, but I, I don't. Um, when, I, when, I am in a, when I am in a good place, you know, life is great. God is good. When, all, when shit hits the fan, that's when I'm like absolutely feel crazy. I feel controlling. I feel like, you know, God doesn't have my back. Um, the food gets loud all other kind of things in my life, my other addictions get loud. And I, I know today for me that that's a sign to me that not that I'm not doing something right or, or perfect, that's a sign for me that, you know, there's some things that I need to change um, or there's some different course of action that I, that I need to take. Um, I think for me I'm, I'm seeing um, today that um, just reading this, reading this story that, you know, no amount of food is going to make me feel better, no amount of alcohol, no amount of, you know, relationships, sex, none of that, you know. Um, It's all an inside job. And um, I'm learning more and more about myself through the 12 steps that, you know, it all starts with me. It all begins with me, you know. Um, I'm going to keep coming and listening to uh, the vision meetings. Um, I'm just, I'm so grateful um, 
that uh, you guys are on this morning, and I'm grateful that I'm able to tap in um, live and listen and not listen to a recording. Um, it does make a really big difference, and um, I'm kind of eager to kind of really get involved more into this program and hopefully find a sponsor that can walk me through the 12 steps through uh, the big book. So with that, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Myra, and keep listening. Keep studying with us. Okay, Leanne, you're next. Go ahead. Hi, this is Leanne. <clears throat> I covered today in Florida, and um, I was a lone wolf, wolf for so much of my life, and I just this just brings back to mind how much I relied on being alone because then I didn't have to deal with anybody's personality or anybody telling me what to do. And I, all my working years, um, everybody would get together at lunchtime, but I wasn't allowed to eat lunch until I deserved lunch. That was my rule. I had to work to eat. So I would put my ankle weights on, and I would walk the entire hour, and then I would sneak this, like, small little whatever I brought to eat after after I, had to, after I walked. And then um, when our lunch period changed and our building changed, then I would put my ankle weights on and run up and down the steps for a half an hour, and I'd come back wringing wet and then um, worked in a courthouse, and each length was one-tenth of a mile. Everybody knew me. They knew me. Uh, the whole courthouse knew who I was because there was just no way I could not do that behavior in order to deserve to eat. But it was all about the food because I wanted to eat, so I had to work hard to eat. I was such a lone wolf. I was such an oddball. It was so hard for me to um, to to be with people because I had to be in charge. I had to be in control of what I ate. And, um, you know, people, my family would wonder, well, how in the world did you move to Florida all by yourself and, you know, stay there? Well, I had I had my buddy old pal with me, my disease. It was glorious to live by myself. I loved it. I could do whatever I want. If I wanted to get up at 2.30 in the morning and exercise, I could do it or whatever. And, you know, I was... Uh, trapped in the disease of compulsive overeating coupled with the anorexia and the exercise bulimia that kept me so busy I didn't need anybody for years and um you know that just reminds me of this like today putting relationships first is still a challenge because I'm so default mode to go out on my own to go off on my own to be by myself and do my own thing and then I don't have to deal with anything but the more I'm involved with people the more I realize they give me energy and they give me purpose and they give me reasons to pray. Because now when I pray for people, I feel like that's the the ultimate supreme thing that I can do for another person is put their interests before mine in God's hands. And that's just um, such a switch. Um, so I completely relate to Lone Wolf. It, it seems to me like uh, Bill had relationships, you know, um, and then he became a, a Lone Wolf. I never had any, and I'm I'm learning to uh, have relationships now. I married a husband who um, um, is great at being emotionally unavailable, and that's why it was safe for me, was safe for me to marry because he didn't know what I was doing. He would put it, he would be in his suit and walk, be out there walking with me at lunchtime. He didn't know what I was doing. My my motives and intent, intent intentions were all about deserving to eat i need to deserve to eat so i have to do this and just incredible so that just brought all that back to my mind and and today um i'm just hanging on to phrases that god speaks to me through others and just the other day my sister-in-law said you know being with family is so much more important than cleaning and I don't know, that stuck to me. And I, my kids are all home now, and I don't want to spend the day cleaning when they're here. So I'm grateful that I have the ability to, to not do that today, that I didn't have any power to choose differently before I had my channel opened toward God. So thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leanne, and this is Monica, and just very quickly, I'm going to say here that, you know, the paragraph we read right before this, you know, he was on top there, he'd arrive, it was fun, life was exhilarating, 
And bang, look what's happening here in this next paragraph. His drinking has assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost all night. The remonstrances. And what does that mean? That means expressions of dis- disapproval, protest, or opposition. So, no, you know what? The friends are not happy with his drinking, with his behaviors when he's drinking and everything. And so they're all pulling away. They're pulling away, and that's why he becomes a lone wolf, because they don't want to have anything to do with him. And he says, eh, blah, blah, that's all right with me, you know? So we're seeing his progression, some more progression of his disease here. Progression to isolation also. We're seeing some deterioration of his marriage here. Things aren't so good. And with that, we have come to the end of our time here this morning, and I'd like to thank everyone who has shared And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Kim, could you read a vision for you, please? My pleasure. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.